You're listening to Maps, Magic, and Medicine. I'm James Perla. According to the late geographer Bernard Nietzschman, more indigenous territory has been claimed by maps than by guns. But in the hands of indigenous groups, maps provide an opportunity to reimagine this history. We had some illegal loggers come into an indigenous uh, village and try and get a concession, and they showed some maps, and they said, okay, so your village is here, and you have another village here, and we just want to do logging around that. That's Mark Plotkin, president of the Amazon Conservation Team, talking about the Trio tribe in Suriname. The subchief, God bless him, went in his hut and came out and laid out his map with several hundred uh, icons on it. He says, well, our village is here, but our sacred area is here, and the fish spawn here, and we hunt here, and then we... And the loggers just said, these guys are too organized, and they left. Today, on Maps, Magic, and Medicine, we'll hear how indigenous groups are protecting their land and culture by putting their knowledge on the map. Suriname is a small country in the northeast coast of South America, bordering Brazil. Indigenous and tribal groups make up almost 25% of Suriname's population, but still, to this day, Suriname does not recognize indigenous land claims. Suriname is, I think, the only country on the Western Hemisphere who hasn't recognized the land rights of indigenous people. That's Minu Parahu. I'm the program director of Amazon Conservation Team Suriname. With no official land rights, indigenous and tribal groups are literally not on the map. And the stakes are high because at the same time, gold mining operations, development projects, and loggers have legal contracts allowing them to work, build, and mine on traditional lands. And this comes after generations of violence during Suriname's colonial history and the more recent waves of missionaries in indigenous communities. When the church came in, everything was condemned and they were forced and without knowing they abandoned all the traditional beliefs and, and habits. But then at a certain point, something happened, which I cannot really explain, that the elders started to go back and start to promote the traditions and the culture again. So that is, that is quite amazing to see. Through what's called participatory or community-based mapping, indigenous groups in Suriname are using maps to document and promote their cultural knowledge. With maps of their own, indigenous groups can stake a claim to land that was always already theirs. The ethos behind participatory mapping is to include local people as much in the process. That's Rudo Kemper, a mapping specialist at the Amazon Conservation Team. Before participatory mapping, the main idea would be that you go to a community, um, you ask some basic questions, and you start collecting data, and then you leave and you produce maps. You might come back to the community and show them, but frequently that didn't happen, right? So the object of that exercise is to produce maps for yourself as a researcher. The idea behind participatory mapping is that you give the people, the local communities themselves, the power to partake in a mapping process. One maroon community in Suriname called the Matawai is just beginning this type of community-based mapping. Four centuries ago, during Dutch colonial rule, formerly enslaved peoples, now called Maroons, fled from coastal plantations into the rainforest. For generations, they fought against the colonial government, and eventually, they won recognition for their tribal lands. But when Suriname became an independent nation in 1975, these colonial agreements were void. 
Now, six maroon groups trace their ancestry back to these formerly enslaved peoples. They make up almost a quarter of Suriname's population, yet their ancestral territory is not recognized by the current government. One of the smallest of these groups is called the Matawai. They live in the buffer zone of Suriname's largest protected area, meaning their territory provides an additional layer of protection for biodiversity and clean water. So really, the Matawai community is on the front lines, especially because as they start this slow process of mapping their ancestral territory, a road project is beginning. With the road, people come for gold mining. People will come to do tourism. People will come to ask the locals to perhaps sell some resources which are not, you know, de facto wrong, but you need to be prepared. And I think we started very late in this community and we are facing challenges. I think they will be overwhelmed and the process is one you cannot take a shortcut. It is a lengthy process, which is very challenging when a development is coming to the community. Granman Valentin, the chief of the Matawai community, is realistic about these challenges, but eager to get started with mapping. Here, Niraj Hanoman helps to translate. And he says it's from imminent importance for the present and the future, because if the ancestors did it, long time ago then they wouldn't be in this position that they had to do it but now they are in the position to do it and they would gladly do it for the future generations and also people are pieces of the community that live abroad when they come back to the matawai area they can look at the map they can read the history then they instantly know where they're from this mafastam ok with the road project gaining momentum, the Matawai community is beginning to document what's important to them in their local landscape, as well as the stories associated with these places. Perhaps appropriately, the first areas they want to document are the natural highways already flowing through their territory. For the Maroons, the most important part of the local geography is the river. The river is what um, provides them with food, is what enables them to travel long distances, it's the most central part of life for Maroons. And so when we brought the maps to the Matawai, the only thing we had on there was the river and creeks. And we showed it to them and we said, okay. And from there, we asked them to write down the names for everything that they recognize, every single creek, uh, features of the river, like when it splits in two, for example, areas like this. Um, and with relative ease, the entire the group of people that were there, they were able to work out the names of everything in that is contained on that map. And so there were three maps that we had because there were three small groups. And then when we went back to our field station, we compared them and the information matched exactly. So that's the first step in the mapping process, consulting with the community and asking them to identify important areas in the territory. And then the next step after that is, okay, so the first thing that you have is then these hand-drawn maps, right? The next thing is to get the actual locations of um, where these um, creeks and local names and features are. And here's where the modern technology comes in. Only at this stage do you bring in a GPS or a smartphone equipped with data collection software to actually visit these places. 
Brian Hetler, another mapping specialist at the Amazon conservation team, explains some of the specs for these data collection tools. So using these tools, communities will be able to go into the forest and collect information about ecosystem types, uh, deforestation. Uh, what we're currently in the process of doing is deploying these devices with communities. Whenever they're out in the forest, they're collecting data, and then we're using that information to create uh, forest cover data sets. Uh, for example, we're using high-resolution satellite imagery from Digital Globe, which can be between 30 to 50 centimeter resolution. We're using information that the communities are collecting to to classify that imagery to create highly detailed forest cover maps that are um, based on local knowledge. After field officers at the Amazon conservation team provide training in mapping technology and data collection software, indigenous groups become certified as indigenous park guards, or IPGs, and function as park rangers in their territory. The rangers we have at this moment are measuring data on forest inventory, carbon, biomass. They capture data on wildlife, and this is important for food security issues. They do map the areas where agricultural plots are to understand the relationship between diseases and pests and crop yields. So the IPGs do more than mapping. Even though the Matawai community is just beginning this type of community-based mapping, Grandman Valentin already sees the potential. It's new technology, GPS, it was a, it was a new introduction to them. Yeah, in the beginning, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit difficult to learn it, but it's like uh, a newborn baby. It has to crawl first, then it takes its first step, then it falls, and then get, it gets up again. But after time passes, then you get to know, know it, and he wants to go for the top. So, when we come back, we'll hear from the person who started all this with hand-drawn maps and see how far those maps have taken it. This production is sponsored by the Amazon Conservation Team, protecting the Amazon in partnership with indigenous groups since 1996. To get involved, visit amazonteam.org. Welcome back. So we heard how the Matawai community is just beginning to map in the main river flowing through their community. But all of this started about 150 miles to the south. Wuta, who we met in episode two, was one of the first people to begin this type of mapping in the Trio community's territory. Here, Mark Plotkin translates. He said, well, one of the things that allows you to do, make your own map, is you put your own names. You don't have the government names for these rivers and creeks, you have the Trio name. Wuta began to hand-draw maps from memory that documented the important areas in the Trio territory. And he was part of the group that inspired conservationists at the Amazon conservation team to expand this type of documentation into what is now participatory mapping 
you know, 20 years ago when ACT saw this or when people that worked at ACT at the time saw this, they, they recognized that there was incredible knowledge already. So that's how that stuff started um, without any kind of use of technology. And eventually we started to introduce technologies to make that process more efficient. But the methodology hasn't changed. It's essentially that of indigenous people or other local communities putting their knowledge on the map. Minu explains that whenever there's a meeting about traditional lands, Wuta will pull out his old maps. Not only do these maps show local knowledge and the culturally important areas that are not documented on Suriname's official map, but they're also a source of pride for Wuta and the trio community. And then he will stand up and, you know, give his talks and show his own drawings, uh, his notes. And the chief of this tribe, the trio tribe of Komala Samutu, will proudly stand up and say, that is our Wuta. He was the first mapper of our community. So when the community members see their efforts, their knowledge, and their local place names put on a map, it gets them to want to participate. So he's saying it's an iterative process. They would go back to the village and say, what about this? What, do you, what about this? You say, no, that name's wrong. Or There's a lot of old cassava plantation here. It must have been a village. What did, it call, what did they call it? That sort of stuff. So that way, you, you don't only just make a map. I want to make a correct map. He said, I want to hold. That sort of means protect, cherish, keep uh, the, the forest, the game, the waters, the animals. And the map is essential for that. So the radical thing here isn't the technology itself, but rather the platform that map making gives indigenous groups. With maps as a guide, indigenous groups can communicate why their territory is important in a country that still does not recognize indigenous land rights. In the end, ACP is just the facilitator. The mapping is based on their knowledge, on their input, on their fieldwork, so it's their map. Currently, Buta is part of a delegation that's using maps to begin a discussion about land rights with the government of Suriname. They are um, having talks with the government about land rights issues. And yes, Buta and Kang, who's another mapper, are part of this delegation. So trios are very proud of these two guys who started mapping based on their knowledge. So while the map itself is a useful tool, the powerful thing is that Wuta has a place at the table. By providing the community with their own version, their own map of their lands, you're giving them an incredibly powerful tool to state a claim that this is theirs and that this is not belonging to an outside entity like a government or a corporation or something like that, um, you're empowering them. It enables the community to document their own knowledge, which is something that you know we've seen all across the world with traditional communities, that in the 21st century, um, local knowledge is increasingly being lost. So by putting it on a map is one way of preserving an incredible amount of local knowledge that has been built up for centuries in these communities that live in the rainforest. So with his knowledge on the map, Buta is using the tools at hand to ensure the forest remains for the next generation and that the next generation remains in the forest. As they monitor the health of their environment, 
and as they document their ancestors' stories, indigenous and tribal communities still struggle for recognition in a country that has erased them from its official map. Even though they're using new tools and new approaches, even though their efforts help to protect the rainforest and mitigate the effects of climate change for us all, the impact lies in something more basic, a determination to ensure that one's community and one's culture have a right to survive, and a desire to make a mark, to stake a claim that one's community, one's family, and one's local environment exist and will continue to exist now that the knowledge is on the map. Subscribe to Maps, Magic, and Medicine on iTunes to continue to hear these stories. And if you like what you hear, write us a review. You can also learn more about this work on our website, mapsmagicmedicine.com. Maps, Magic, and Medicine was produced by me, James Perla, with Eric DeLuca, Bruto Kemper, Brian Hetler, Isidoro Hasboon, and Maria Mayer. <laughs>